Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, trees and non-binaries, to another episode of I Am The Night, the podcast here on the DC Comics News Podcast Network, where I, Adam Ray, and Steve Ray, the... Greetings. The Ray family powers are here to talk about Batman the Animated Series, the uh, finger of powerful 90s animation, and what some may still consider the uh, the flypost of what makes good Batman media outside the comics. Uh, we're here well into season three, coming up to the... Uh, the hundredth episode of our show and the show as a whole, but uh, there's many things to talk about in this particular character-driven, villain-centric sort of dysfunctional romance story. As I think it's the best way I would describe it. Um, yeah, this one was weird, but again, as it's the first time I've seen it, it's answered a lot of questions that I've had. But we'll come into that in the show. Yes, it's our 88th episode, uh, season three, episode nine of the show Batman the Animated Series, and it's called "Love Is a Croc," written by famous comics great creator Steve Gerber, sadly no longer with us, passed away in 2008, and directed by Batman the Animated Series mainstay Butch Lukic. But let's talk about the return of well. Clearly, Killer Croc. We, we knew that one was a given. And surprisingly enough, Baby Doll. So let's start. What what's the, happens in this episode, mate? Well, um, we start with Baby Doll, of all people. We see her on the TV as part of her um, her old sitcom where she was there as a fully grown-up woman, but with a rare genetic condition that stunted her growth and makes her look very small and childlike. We see her TV show sort of playing on in the background into her being sort of like the receptionist at a skeezy hotel and some rather not nice guests kind of get in her face about it. And we see that she still has a lot of understandable emotional hangups about her condition and um, her a lot of unresolved rage issues. Let's go with that. But it's still a very fascinating character. I do love this character. Um, and... The depths to her, I mean, because this story, I mean, from that beautiful where they've actually made it black and white, so it feels just like a classic 50s soap. You, you could imagine Lucille Ball appearing out of a corner of the screen. It, it's just wonderful. But then when you see her, like you said, in that horrible sleazy hotel with those awful, awful guests, and it's that brilliant look at the flip side of celebrity, especially for child actors who might not make it, who might succumb to the rigours and, and the stresses. But then she's also got that genetic condition where she's never allowed to forget who she was on screen. So she's a character, again, who's got all the hallmarks of a classic Batman strange um, villain, but that level of sympathy that, again, most of them have, which is why they make Batman's Road Gallery arguably the best in all of fantasy. It really does. The um... Bands villains are so consistently like strong visuals, but also such a strong story that they're very easy to graft new ideas onto. But because of how different and out there they are, people just keep coming back for more because they're so such grand and bold personalities. Similarly, so as she's dealt with these customers, her her own room there in the hotel still is very much decorated with memorabilia from her show and a lot of like giant teddy bears and other kid-friendly things and then she watches the trial of killer croc on the local news and again uh the redesigns of uh, season three of batman the animated series strikes again because he looks quite different here since we last saw him a lot more comic book accurate i found a lot more like the killer croc we know from the comics and what i love is he's smarter 
Because mm. one thing that didn't quite gel with me in Batman the series was the grey croc and the way he was portrayed so dumb when he was just a physical threat. Here he seems a lot more sharp, and maybe you can affect adjust it to, because in the comments it said that he would mutate and his rage would grow with his strength, but he'd, he'd not be as smart, and maybe that's part of his ongoing mutation. Um, but it's a wonderful touch, because she says to the clients that, you know, no one knows who I really am they just judge me by what I look like and he says virtually the exact same thing in the court and then that connections put together and that that's where my questions will come in later in the episode but I honestly think that they're actually a fairly good match but obviously Croc over the course of this episode though there are moments when I do feel he does care about her mm-hmm. um doesn't feel the same way yeah, because when I was watching, and one of the notes was I was just trying to remember when the last time we'd even seen Croc, and I think it was that episode where he escapes Gotham and he's running through the wilderness and he finds yeah. that family circus, of escaped, yeah. escaped circus freaks, and uh, you informed me that some of those characters are actually uh, somewhat of a big deal in the comics and other characters and other stories, right? Yeah, it was a direct adaptation of a classic, classic 70s yeah. story drawn by the legendary late, great Neil Adams. Ah, of course, yeah, so those characters were there for that particular story and we mm. see Croc again after this uh, redesign because of the change of seasons. Um, so there's a sort of a theme emerging of like kindred spirits trying to find Croc and bring it in. But of course, Cro- uh, crocodiles are largely solitary creatures, so he doesn't handle it well there or here, but we're getting ahead of ourselves. So we see Croc on this crime spree and it take like after he breaks out of his, um, out of his confinements there in, in court and Batman's the first responder to take him down, but Baby Doll watches the whole thing and sort of helps along as best she can. That's when the kindred spirit sort of gets struck up and just by seeing these two characters sort of together, I immediately gather that that would be the tone of the episode and get made for a great dynamic between two characters you'd never expect to really meet or ever get along, wouldn't it? It's so good because in some ways, they are the perfect duo, the ultimate combination of brains and brawn, because mm. what we didn't get in the Baby Doll's initial appearances is the fact of how damn smart she is. Mm. The gadgets she creates, the bombs, the smoke devices, the bouncing football, which can be a gas bomb, um, the whole lair, the fact that she's still clearly traumatised and in some ways hides under that child persona of hers. Yeah, But you do see, particularly when she becomes angry and her voice deepens, mm-hmm. um, fantastic work by brand new Baby Doll actress, by the way, in this episode. Um, so it's not that the same lady we saw before. This one's played by Lorraine Newman. Um, and then the clever animation where you actually see wrinkles and rage appear in her eyes so she looks older. It's some fantastic, subtle storytelling. It really is, and it carries across well to show that there's more layers to this mm. character. I think the notes I made were that she goes to the same uh, destructive toys supplier that the Joker does, because she must. <laughs> um, but still, that level of ingenuity, I think, probably came from her many, many years of working on screen, so she knows like how the pyrotechnics department works, she knows about stunts and well, things. Exactly, that's and, what like, my mind was prop, going. And, like, prop craft and stuff, but who's applied it in a bit more of a sinister way, but that makes it all the more interesting as well. And then when these two characters come together, she effortlessly breaks them out of uh, prison and they go on an off-screen crime spree together, which is, again, two unlikely forces coming together. Uh, I loved the... the Because I think, to my knowledge, this was the first callback to a big location outside of Gotham, because like one of the newspapers that they were looking through was the Daily Planet. Mm-hmm. 
absolutely brilliant touch i'm really glad you got like that was one of the things i've got more to say about those newspapers later actually there's some a couple of really clever little headlines in those which are funny oh i completely missed them i'd love to hear them if you spotted them all properly i only spotted them because i'm ultra nerd zilla don't worry about it (laughs) most viewers probably wouldn't have caught it either but well fair enough then uh one of the newspapers has a headline uh, bt quotes with a photo or drawn photo bt is bruce tim because that's who the picture was of so it's literally um the creators of this episode um acknowledging the master <laughs> which is a lovely lovely touch and the uh daily planet one so superman struggling so even he's having trouble with baby doll and croc but the wonderful part of it is that little touches like this show how much of a family atmosphere there is with all the creators working on this series that was just superb yeah because I've, I've heard a lot of stories about rises rooms for other tv shows where there's a bit of a rivalry going on i've heard um some uh, i know some people that worked in the writers room for the early seasons of doctor who and they like one of the writers a dear friend was sitting at home when his episode was playing and then another writer came over to watch it and showed his wife the script for the episode he'd written but she said he liked the sound of his better when her own husband's TV show was playing. I'm not going to name any names for real, but um, I know exactly who you're you know exactly who you're talking about. <laughs> you know exactly who I'm talking about. Um, but yeah, I'm glad that there's still that good camaraderie here. I'm glad that they're able to like put these little in jokes there, and it's just good set dressing and good world building so that we, this big, expansive vision of Gotham just feels all the more lived in. But uh, their their unlikely alliance is not exactly fair or mutual and like i could tell sort of immediately and i feel felt bad from for maybe it all sort of from the drop for how unfair and uneven the whole dynamic was wouldn't you agree completely which is why i have so many questions because i've read every issue of the batman adventures comics Mm-hmm. And in issues of those and in other comics completely unrelated, but well, actually not really unrelated, Sean Murphy, legendary creator of the wonderful White Knight universe, mm-hmm. shows Baby Don and Croc as a couple on several occasions because his entire universe is inspired by what brought him into Batman, and that's the Tim Burton movie and this show. Mm-hmm. And he has Baby Don and Croc. So I always wondered that's a great idea because they're both like seen as different by society at large. They make a great couple. And now clearly I know that that's based partly on this episode, maybe on things that happen later on. So this one episode has answered so many questions that I've had for decades. Uh, And it's great to see because I honestly think that he's just putting on that whole Marta Bravado act. He does care for her. There are scenes where he clearly melts um, and he looks at her with affection but then they get that horrible twist and I just get Joker and Harley all over again. And argh. I think it's, yeah, it's, that's the trouble with it. It, it's always just a little bit toxic for people in this kind of environment, but I think this is the early stages of that. And they do have the chance to become the couple that you've seen in some of Sean Murphy's stories. I think it's still not down to any of the insanity or the malice that Joker has. I think it's down to, Croc being so isolationist and so downtrodden by the people that he grew up with in the circuses and the freak shows and the rest of the people that he grew up with that he doesn't know how to open up yet 
and eventually he has the possibility to do so so that he can live on the stories that you've seen in other media. So I have hope yeah. for them. It won't ever be as bad as Joker and Harley Quinn because mm -hmm. ultimately their story Nothing is because be. their story is um destined to just like split them up. Joe Joker's meant to go off and um be insane, but still be obsessed with Batman and Harley Quinn's got a greater um love affair with Poison Ivy destined for her. So yeah, um, I, I'm I'm optimistic for them, but at least in this episode, we can say it wasn't meant to be for now. There's sadly a lot of growth for both characters to go through. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. But I love as well that the level of characterization, both on the villain duo mm -hmm. of Baby Don and Croc, but the fact that in this episode, it's actually Batman and Batgirl who are chasing them now. Tell me what you think, because in my head canon, it just means that the team splits to take on different threats. So while Batman and Batgirl are out chasing Baby Don and Croc, Nightwing and Robin are taking care of Gotham. Or am I just reading too much into this and being the older nerd that I am? No, I think that's that's just logical. I'd agree with that. Think about how big Gotham City is, because yeah. it's not just a borough of New York like it is in our world. It's its own city, because like DC Earth's like 40% bigger than our Earth or something like that. So they have to be able to be all over the place. And it makes me think back to the, uh, the Gotham Knights game where you can have multiple of the of the characters sort of out on a mission, but they're also splitting up and involving each other and other things that are relating to the story. Um, so, yeah, it makes total sense for Nightwing and Tim to be out doing another thing. Or maybe Tim's talking to a very delightful young clay lady and Batman's tagging in to help out with that as best he can. Maybe stories don't necessarily Ooh, happen. I like that. Some stories might be happening overlaying at the same time and we don't and we see Batman trying to compartmentalize it and deal with multiple mysteries going on across town. Again, that's also my thinking because I like interweaving stories and I like stories that are laid over themselves. That's how I roll my tabletop role playing games and that's how I like my big fat fantasy novels tapestries exactly but um in any case the particular mystery the particular crime spree that we're on um croc still doesn't know how to keep up this uh level of connection which drives baby to a very very dark place to a very destructive place for one final showdown in i'm glad that gotham City's forward thinking enough to use nuclear energy it's much cleaner and much more safe than fossil fuel energy but i'm gonna get off my soapbox um with it set to detonate, there's always we've had a lot of good, big, internal, uh, layered, structured scientific facilities in Batman final boss fights, haven't we? And they're always fun to see. Always, always. Yeah. And this one's great because the final boss isn't the big, bad, strong one they expect it to be. The tables are turned and it's actually Baby Doll. And she's not there to ransom Gotham the way um, Croc thinks. That whole episode's about them actually committing very successful crimes and getting very rich on the proceeds but she's seen him out and about on the town with the floozies and she thinks well that's it i can't have him no one can and it's actually a ploy to destroy gotham and them with it and that came totally out of the blue and quite a dark turn i thought yeah it's very reminiscent of um michael douglas and glenn close from another from another excellent movie um i i was hoping that she'd eventually sort of like grow past that but yeah that's a very strong reaction but one you can forgive because she's coming from a place where she's finally been able to make a connection with a person because they're different and because she won't he won't necessarily see her as a freak because he's a freak too so his rejection 
just led to a very strong reaction that will send her back to the back to Arkham Asylum because yeah. would Killer Croc have been in Arkham Asylum because of the cannibalism, right? He's always usually shown in the comics as going to Arkham rather than to prison, yes. At first, when he was literally just a criminal mastermind, because when we first meet him in the 80s, he's literally, you don't even see him, he's just known as Croc, and he's a feared figure of the underworld, running um, gangs all over the place. And it's only when he's revealed and his hat and big, long trench coat uh, taken off that you see his physical aspect and then his strength and stuff like that. So when he's first incarcerated, it is Blackgate. It's, it's in prison. But later in years, he, as he devolves physically and mentally that's when the Arkham thing comes in but um yeah good call but I I love what you said about her reaction because as the bard said hell hath no fury is a woman scorned and her reaction's a nuclear reaction quite literally yeah it is she's very okay with destroying Gotham and the both of them with it because her her breaking him out of Arkham and those com- committing those crimes together, that was never her motivation. She just wanted a connection. And when he sort of threw that back in her face, it really hurt her, leading to her being okay with destroying the entire city and the both of them with it. Um, Batman and Batgirl are fortunate enough to be there on time, but it brings the episode to a close with a big sort of emotional moment where I think, and that's the moment Croc realizes the strength of the connection and what he lost and what he threw away. That's my for wishful thinking, especially hearing all of the Sean Murphy story details. Um, yeah, uh, very well-rounded and character-driven for these two unlikely characters. Yes, yeah, it's, it's typical toxic masculinity that most men don't realise what they've got until it's gone, and it's usually gone because of their actions. So that was a really nice touch and some great realistic writing, which is why I want to touch on Steve Gerber, may he rest in peace, because bringing a writer of his calibre to this show, A, as soon as I saw his name, I thought, whoa, that's a big deal, because this guy, Marvel, DC, you name it, Guardians of the Galaxy, Daredevil um, for Marvel, amongst many, many others, and then uh, he came over to the, the DC in the 70s and the 80s and wrote, again, virtually every character. But his main claim to fame is this is the guy who, if you've only seen the movie, Ignore the movie. It doesn't exist. The comics were fantastic. This is the guy who created Howard the Duck. Oh, he created Howard the Duck? This is the creator of Howard the Duck, a wow. legendary writer. Uh, Eisner Hall of Fame inductee. Wow. So he's got to be wow, a good wow, writer. Wow. And a real mainstay in getting creators' rights back because when the whole George Lucas movie fiasco happened they were going to film this without even consulting him he proved without a shadow of a doubt he owned the character and that was a groundbreaking moment for comics creators all over the world so not just a great writer as you can clearly see from this episode this is a character episode of a Saturday morning animated show so I did want to touch on Steve Gerber because he like I said Hall of Famer Fantastic writer, creator of Howard the Duck. Um, the Guardians of the Galaxy would not be what they are or who they are without his work for Marvel. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I had to talk about him because it quite honestly, he's, he's one of the greats. Yeah, because um, I saw, I was able to catch the recent Guardians of the Galaxy movie the other day. Very good, by the way. And Howard the Duck has a very substantial cameo in it. Ah. Uh, and I'm very happy to see it. And as a big fan of the current Marvel card game, uh, Howard the Duck is a very powerful card there. So it's great to know where iconic characters and great stories came from. Yeah. So it's important Absolutely. to honor a, a good writer like this and to show 
his range to be able to create such wild cosmic and bizarre characters out there but then still bringing things back into a very human emotional relationship based exactly. story here so when you can when you can write it all you deserve to be remembered as this well so big respect i love that yeah. stories where you feel something to me are the most successful yes you can be thrilled yes you can enjoy the action and the bluster and the bravado and the explosions but when you get that human connection that's when you know a writer's really honed their craft. I mean, a simple little lines of dialogue, like when Batman and Batgirl are in the Batboat searching for them, what do you suppose they do on the date? And that grimace from Batman, I don't even want to know. Yeah. And um, When they're walking around in the sewers for me as well. Yeah, brilliant. And that shows again that that team's clearly split up because this team's been focusing on Baby Doll and Croc. So someone else must be taking care of Gotham. And after the fight where Batman literally gets up, fights his way from under the rubble that's fallen on him, as does Batgirl, he just chases after the villains and Batgirl just says, yeah, I'm fine, thanks. It's little touches like that that show a fantastic writer. It really is. It brings the people connection back to it that makes it feel so loved and so lived in. That uh, it's very easy to overlook in the superhero genre medium. That's... we're rewarded for good storytelling, and it's it takes the masters to do that. So love to see it. That's such an unlikely unlikely source, but yeah, this this is an example of um, them busting out these amazing character actors for bit parts, but for here, but like an amazing like tenured writer to write twenty minutes of quote unquote Saturday morning television. But yeah, that's the power of this show. It brings out the best talent across the entire animated and dc's uh world absolutely and on that note thank you for that let's mm. talk about the talent because it's not only a new baby doll it's actually a new croc too i mean i, I think i guess so they yeah. both sounded similar but a little bit different yeah exactly and that's what's beautiful they cast new people but they've homaged what's come before and brought their own character to it croc's played by an actor called brooks gardner again a tv and movie mainstay who's literally throughout from from the 70s onwards appearing on tj hooker macgyver dallas walker texas stranger in voice work american dad and garfield but he even had a bit part in a blockbuster with arnold schwarzenegger eight night the 1980s uh, action movie raw deal again someone who can act someone who can use their voice and if you saw the photo you'd recognize him as well and we already mentioned lorraine newman <clears throat> Starting on Saturday Night Live, a great place for any actor, yeah. comedic or otherwise, to start. But Laverne and Shirley, it's an elsewhere. Uh, Mrs. Buffet in the episode with the bullies of Friends. So maybe that was just oh, the voice yeah. part. Yeah. Uh, no, um, no, no, I, I know which one it is. I, 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 yeah. The relation of Phoebe's in some way. I'm trying to place it, but uh, again, amazing that there's another Friends connection to her, someone who plays this character. many Friends connections. But tons of voices, not obviously sometimes big named characters but you look at an animated movie from the last 20 years because she's still working and Mm. she's there doing every other voice actor in the background from films like monsters inc finding nemo wally rick it ralph so many others and appearances in superman the animated series which ran concurrently with the final season of batman the animated series as well so two really good really talented actors in these parts i think they needed to get tenured people to have that emotional connection and to really come across the extent of the differences in their dynamics like one person having that romantic curiosity one person hesitant if a little bit disconnected so yeah they were able to get strong performers down for a strong emotional performance and it shows in great strength and i'm happy to see it 
Absolutely. So on that note, then let's talk about your main takeaways from Love is a Croc. It's a little bit tricky because the first thing I thought about was a little thing that seemed out of character for Batman that I'm willing to forgive, but would have saved them a lot of trouble in that final dramatic battle. Um, it's weird to have a gripe with this with this show. And again, I'm always willing to forgive it. But the moment when they bust into the control room at the power station and Croc starts explaining, it's her, she's gone crazy. Why would Batman just hit him? He's already down and incapacitated and he's trying to explain the situation come on batman listen up but again croc's dangerous and still a threat there and batgirl sort of on the scene so she should be able to handle it but it was a very sudden and unexpected thing that just seemed weird to me yeah i can see that uh and again like you said he's nearly he's usually the guy who's got all the bases covered the only explanation i can put to it is that he didn't really see baby doll as a threat and in levels of violence and sadism and everything else he probably thinks that croc is the one behind the whole nuclear thing so he knows that barbara's much more computer savvy so she's got the uh actual power plant in control and she can handle um, baby dolls so he's literally gone after what he perceives to be the main physical threat but again it's it's not very in character for him you're right yeah but um it's just uh, it was just a little out of place I'm yeah. l- i'll always look past it because there's ways to justify it and sort of argue around it but ultimately i'm still able to forgive it for the sake of an episode that's so strong and yeah. character driven and really lets you think about how people see people and how people handle their connections and their relations. But that's me. What was your big takeaway from this episode? Um, the fact that the main crux of the story, the thing you're left thinking about afterwards, isn't the crimes or what they do. It's that relationship and being uh, the people who we are, being very um, geek culture, nerd people, and that social... Um, awkwardness that we've all suffered that sympathy and empathy for both baby don and croc because we can sort of see yeah i felt like that at times and it's little things like that that just add so much depth to what could like we frequently say just make this another saturday morning cartoon it's so much deeper than that no it really is it really really is and it gives us so much to think about so many years later that that's how you know it's still a strong story that will stand the test of many kinds of times so well done, Batman, the animated series for, like I said at the beginning of the episode, staying the strong vision of how Batman stories could be told aside from the comics. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so many people I speak to, thankfully, many of them, bless you, thank you, listen to the show and say that, yeah, they have to agree with us that outside of the comics, this show is the pinnacle of Batman storytelling. And we all know this is what brought so many people into the character, including the legend that is Sean G. Murphy wouldn't be doing what he's doing or creating the stories. He's creating his own universe, in fact, without yeah. this show and without Tim Burton's Batman. Yeah, there's as long as you appreciate that Batman's a faceted character and the stories told around them can take on many different tones because of the length of the length of time that the character's been around. But they're all as long as they're all still true to where that character came from. Batman's stories can be anything. Absolutely, they really can. Anything from the super serious stuff like the psychological thriller of Three Jokers to Batman, why are you changing to a green costume this time? I must be in a different color each night, Robin, or people will die. Stuff like that. (laughs) 
got another Silver Age. Oh, so silly. So good. Uh, well, again, Grant Morrison managed to make all those stories canon. That's how clever that, that guy is. So. <laughs> well, that is the hope, and let's hope that they stay making sense somehow. But yeah, that's the joy of Batman. You can tell all kinds of stories, including this one. Love is a crock, sort of. Absolutely. Absolutely. So that brings us to the end of our 88th episode, Series 3, Episode 9 of Batman the Animated Series, Love is a Crock. I loved it. A couple of little, little niggles, but again, strong. I'm glad we don't rate these because we get so many 9s and 10s out of 10s, it would be ridiculous. But this is, again, it's, it's a classic episode. So until we come back for our next one, Adam, tell the multiverse where we can hear your voice, read your words and see your face. I'm across the grand wide interwebs in many places beyond knowing. Uh, for more Batman-flavoured things, look to my reviews on Dark Knight News. Catwoman's in an excellent spot right now, and you'll find me picking up the odd title here and there. Um, between things right now, some excellent stories have come to their ends, but don't worry, I will always keep reading. Uh, but as for my one true love, PC and tabletop gaming, look no further than our own pride and joy, mine and my father's. Look to fantasticuniverses.com, where I put my two cents in across PC and tabletop gaming or anything that tickles my fancy. Follow me on Twitter at IsItTinker, which you can see somewhere far above us. And talk to me. I'm a very approachable, and I have a strong opinion on just about anything. Uh, for visual media, look back to the Hostile Atmosphere on YouTube or No Ordinary Heroes on YouTube for my PC and uh, Dungeons & Dragons Let's Plays. Uh, one day I'll get back on Twitch, but I'm not going to promise that just yet. Uh, I have many projects out there, and you can find them all by keeping a close ear and looking out for more. As for myself, you can catch this show, Holly Quinn cast and um, our baby, the DC Comics News Weekly News podcast on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, wherever you find your podcasts. DC Comics News, Dark Knight News and Fantastic Universe is all across the Internet, Twitter, Facebook and YouTube as well. As for me, just search Steve J. Ray or Fantastic Universes in your search engine of choice, and that'll take you to all my features, news, reviews, and interviews across all three websites. And talk to me on Twitter at lstevo, E-L underscore S-T-E-E-V-O. But until you do, one thing you need to remember is... I am the night. We are the night. And this has been the I Am The Night podcast. Thank you for listening, and until next time... Read... More... Comics. And watch... More... Bad man. Bad man.